We're in Philippians 1. I believe this is a very appropriate message for homecoming, and I hope it'll be a help to you this morning. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Now, I know the only perfect church is in heaven. I know that. But I tell you what, if I could choose a church throughout time to perhaps be a part of, the church of Philippi would be a good choice. Uh, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering, they were a church that had learned how to rejoice. As a matter of fact, the theme of Philippians is rejoicing. And we may cover that more later on in the week. We'll see how the Lord leads. But Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, and by the way, in case you missed it, again I say, rejoice. Having that joy, having that calm delight in your heart that's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ, not based on your circumstances. And Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he makes some comments. And of course, if you're a believer here today, which means there's been a time in your life where you realize that you were a sinner and that there was absolutely nothing that you could do to save your own soul. Not church membership, not baptism, not having a moral code to live by, not being an American citizen, not because you have a relative who was in the ministry, not because you tithe or read your Bible and pray, but because you realize you were a sinner and that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for your sin. And that the only way to be saved is personal faith and trust in his shed blood. If you've realized that and received Christ, the Bible calls you a child of God. You're a believer. And this is written to you. Paul says in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I what or know not. For I am in a strait, literally means I'm pressed. Ever feel like you've been between a rock and a hard place? He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition or destruction, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul said in verse 23, I've come to the point in my life where I'm in a bit of a strait, I'm in a bit of a pickle. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. And that is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I want to preach to you on this homecoming Sunday, a message for a few moments along these lines, far better, but more needful. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we look into your word to see the truth of Scripture. Father, would you help us today 
to be what you have us to be. Maybe there's somebody who's come to the service, but has never come to the Savior. Someone that's here for this homecoming service, but they never come home to a personal faith and trust in Jesus. Father, we'd ask you today that you'd draw them to yourself, that you'd convince them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that they would not leave here without knowing Jesus as Savior. For those of us, Lord, that maybe we've lost our focus, we're kind of mailing it in and packing it in and kind of giving up the fight and coasting until you call us home, either in death or by the trumpet. Lord, may you give us a renewed fire, not just an emotional stirring, not just goosebumps on the back of our arms, but Lord, would you change our lives? that we would be dedicated to occupy until you come, to be about the business of another until you come. Lord, help us to love you and care for you. May you do great things in this meeting that only you can do. May there be fruit that remains. As always, we claim Isaiah fifty-five eleven that says, Your word will not return void, unto you void, but it will prosper in the purpose for which you send it. Your word works, and we trust that this week. And we give you the honor and glory. And all of God's people said... Hey, you know what? There's some things in life that are good, and there's other things that are better. You know, we're going to have a homecoming meal here in a little bit, and I'm about 6'3", and I weigh none of your business, okay? Now, I had a major surgery back in June where they removed a polycystic kidney from my body. It was huge. It was about, it looked like an alien. I have pictures if you want to see it before lunch, after the service, all right? But it looked like something that Kirk and Spock found on Star Trek. It was an alien. So I'm a little bit less of none of your business, but still none of your business. We're going to homecoming, and you know, if you give me a bologna sandwich, that's okay. If I'm hungry enough, I'll eat a bologna sandwich. Now, my dad is a hunter, and he eats that stuff called potted meat. I don't know how in the world he eats that. I don't want toothpaste that looks like meat. I want something to eat, amen? But you know what? Whereas a bologna sandwich is good... A porterhouse steak is far better. A little bit of fat on the outside of it, homemade macaroni and cheese, biscuits with the butter melting on Are you getting hungry yet, amen? All right, that's far better. Now listen, you might be a Cowboys fan, but that's okay. But being a Redskins fan is far better, amen? No? What is it around here in Ohio? The Bengals. I forgot they had a team. Anyhow, no, uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not making any friends this week for sure. Some things in life are good. Other things are far better. Friend, I want to tell you something this morning. This is a homecoming service. We think about coming back to roots. We think about maybe, I know that there are some of you that used to attend here, but you live away now. You, you enjoy this church that has a rich, rich legacy and history of preaching and teaching God's word. But friend, one day, we're going home. We're going to heaven. Heaven's not an allegory. It's not a myth. It's not folklore. It's not legend. It's a real, literal place. And it's never occurred to you and I how wonderful it is. We can't fathom what God has prepared for those that love him. It's a place where God's people will live forever. Isn't that awesome? Friend, I'm 47 years of age, and I have no wish to rush my life away. I don't have a martyr's complex. I don't have a death wish, and it would be wonderful if I got to live the 94, that I'm, that I'm only at the halfway point. But for that to happen, one of you need to give me a kidney, all right? And so if you want to pray about that, that would be wonderful. 
Amen. 94, that'd be an awesome life. Fred, if I go to heaven today, that's okay with me. Paul said to go and to be in heaven with Jesus is far better. Nevertheless, to be here is more needful. Several things I want you to see this morning. Hope it'll be a help to you. Number one, I want you to see Paul's determination. Look with me at verse number 21. Number one, Paul had determined his purpose in life. He said, for to me, to live. Now, friend, I got a question for you this morning. Do you know your purpose in life? There are seven to eight billion people in planet Earth. And you know, most of them, they are born, they live, they die, and they never know why they're here. You know, our school systems, Brother Erwin, you know this, and uh, the atheistic, humanistic, the way of thinking in our world today says that we are but mere drops, random drops in the universe, and we have no purpose. We're here by chance, we exist by chance, we live, we eat, we die, and that's it. Friend, what a miserable way to look at life. What a horrible way to think about life that we have no purpose. And I want to tell you this morning I got a Greek word for that philosophy. You ready for it? Hogwash. All right? Listen, you are created by a special creative act of God. You're not an animal. You're not a plant. You're not an angel. You're not a microorganism. You are a human being, the only of God's creations made in the image of God. The only of God's creations that understand what redemption means. The only of God's creations made for special fellowship with him. And I am tired of apologizing for being human. We're not animals. We're human beings. And God made us a special act and he gave us a purpose. Now some may say my main purpose in life is to tell others about Jesus Christ. Well, it's definitely a priority. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But you know your main purpose in life is revealed in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Bible says in Colossians 1 that all things were made by him and for him. And our number one purpose in life is the glory of God. A friend, you may think the world revolves around you, but it does not. And it does not revolve around me either. Everything is Jesus. And Paul said, I found my purpose in life. And listen, friends, it's wonderful to make money and have a great job, to have a great family, to have a great home, to have a great career, even to serve the Lord in the church. But more important than any of that is the honor and glory of God. And Paul said, I've determined my purpose for life. But number two is, he says, I've determined that my priority is the Lord. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Frank, could you and I say that verse with a straight face and mean it? You know, when we read the word of God, we believe it because it's in the Bible, amen? And every word is inspired by God, not just the ideas, not just the themes, but the very words of Scripture are given by God and God alone. I hope you believe that this morning. All Scripture is equally inspired by God. And Paul said... For me to live, he didn't say involves Christ. 
He didn't say concerns Christ. He didn't say about Christ. He said is Christ. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul said, Paul died in Jesus, and now the life that I live, what I look at, what I hear, what I see, what I do, where I go, it's Jesus in me and through me. Friends, I don't know about you, but that's a convicting statement. See, so many times my life involves Jesus, but it's not about him completely. Pastor, a friend of mine named Fred Fryer, who pastors in West Virginia, he said this. He said, in some churches, Christ has prominence, but not preeminence. And you and I, our lives are about him. Paul said, this life, however many years I have, and I've got more behind me than ahead of me by this time in his life, he said, my life is Jesus. Everything is focused on him. John 15 says we are to abide in him, which means to dwell, which means to remain, which means everything is centered around Jesus. I thank God for churches like this one where everything is centered around the preaching and teaching of the word of God. If we get that out of whack, we get that out of focus, we get that out of priority, then the churches won't survive, amen? And you can have all the numbers in the world, you can have the light show, you can have the stage production, You can have all the gimmicks, but if you don't have the gospel and the preaching of the word of God, it will not work. It will not work. Number one, we've seen Paul's determination. He said, my life is Jesus. When I die, (laughs) that's when my gain comes. Didn't have a death wish. Didn't have a martyr's complex. He just realized that my rest is later. Number one, we've seen Paul's determination. Number two, I want you to see his desire. Look at verse 23. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Number one, Paul had a biblical desire. Friends, can I tell you something? I want to I shoot a hole in a theory that there are people that are propagating in churches today. Do you know that God is not a cosmic genie? Do you know that he's not an intergalactic Santa Claus where you sit on his lap and you give him your wish list and he gives you everything that you want? Nowhere in the Bible does God say, hey, here's a blank check, fill in the amount and I'll sign it. There are a lot of people out there that teach and preach behind lecterns and pulpits and podiums. Some of them even have TV ministries that say, listen, if you can name it, you can claim it. If you can believe it and picture it hard enough, then God will give it to you. You can manifest it. And friend, nowhere do we find that in Scripture. We have a God who gives us everything that we need. Aren't you glad for that? Psalm 37, I was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Philippians 4, 19, in the context of giving, says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And sometimes he even gives us what we want. Psalm 37, delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? It means when I'm walking with the Lord and loving what he loves and hating what he hates and wanting what he wants, then my desires match his desires, and he'll fulfill them. Amen? Nothing wrong with having goals, aspirations, plans, or dreams. Just make sure that they're what God wants for you. Paul had a biblical desire. He said, I want to go to heaven. Now let me ask you a foolish question. 
Do you want to go to heaven? You know, there's some folks, they're so focused on this life and their financial portfolio, even their families, that were the trumpet to sound today, there might be so much cement in their shoes that they'd have a hard time getting off the ground. Going to heaven is a biblical desire. Paul said in Timothy that a special crown will be given to all those, listen here, that love his appearing. God's going to give an award for those, reward a crown for those who live their lives in the light of the return of the Lord. Heaven is far better. Oh, friends, aren't you looking forward to a day in which you'll never fail God again? How many of you get tired of failing God? Oh. Brother Barry, you're a preacher. You've got evangelists in front of your name. Do you ever fail God? Every stinking day of my life. I'm grateful for the verse preacher in Psalm that says, the the, the righteous fall, uh, uh, but but he rises seven times. Man, I blow it sometimes spiritually. I fall on my face spiritually, but God lifts me up. I love David. David's my favorite Bible character. And when I get to heaven, I want to spend about a thousand years picking his brain. David was a lying, deceiving, arrogant, adulterous murderer. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. Yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. For his hope for him, there's hope for me. Amen? Far better. No more sickness. How many of you get tired of going, oh? That's the first music we make in the morning, right? Oh. Say, what do you know about it, brother? Barry, you're only 47. I know it hurts more at 47 than it did at 27. I know that. Can you imagine never getting sick? Laughing in the face of COVID and every other thing that comes down the pike because we're in heaven, and although we're not God, there's only one of him, we got a perfect body that will never again age or hurt. No more sin, sickness, and eventually, the Bible says he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes, And eventually there'll be no more sorrow. That's far better. We ought to live in light of that. Then I get so engrossed in this world that we ignore what Paul said in Corinthians that we look not the things which are temporal, but the things which are eternal. Lay not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Matthew said. Paul had a biblical desire. But number two, Paul had a better desire. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt the two, Philippians. I got a desire to depart, to leave, and to be with Christ, which is far better. September 25th, this past September 25th, Marked two years since my mom passed away. I was a mama's boy. If you've got a problem with that, that's your problem. I love my mom dearly. I buckshot. I did. And you love yours too. I know you do. He said amen. He's been the best amen of this morning. My mom's with the Lord. Her faith is now sight. We've never seen any of it, but we believe it, don't we? Jesus told Thomas, blessed is he that believes and has not seen. And one of these days we're going to cash all that faith in and we're going to be able to see it all. And my mama is seeing it. 
I've got a brother or sister in heaven that I've never met. My mother had a miscarriage before I was born. She always said it was a boy. She's probably right, that mama's instinct thing. They've been reunited. She's been reunited with her parents. What a wonderful thing, right? But here's why it's far better, folks. We're going to see Jesus. Ever thought about what he looks like? Let me tell you what. Most of the artist's renderings have it wrong. He was not Anglo-Saxon, Shakespearean-speaking, long-flowing-hair man. He was a Jew. If Jesus was in a lineup of men physically, you probably couldn't pick him out. People didn't follow Christ because of his physicality. They followed him because he spoke his authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. The Bible says in Isaiah, he had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. Nothing special about Christ physically. But one day, we're going to look on the most beautiful face who ever lived. And the Bible says in 1 John, we're going to see him as he is because we're going to be like him. We're going to see all the Shekinah glory of God and it won't strike us dead where we stand because he's given us a glorified body that's fit, incorruptible for all of eternity. (laughs) That's far better. The word better means advantageous. It's to my advantage to go to heaven, Paul said. Wouldn't it be awesome to go home on a homecoming? Say, well, Brother Barry, I got the macaroni on the oven. Well, if it happens, you won't be upset, all right? I used to be convinced that the rapture would take place before I got married. I said, Lord, you're going to do that just to spite me. You know that I want to get married, and you're going to let that trumpet sound, and I'm going to go to heaven, and you're going to make me perfect, and I won't even have time to be mad about it. Isn't that silly? Heaven is far, far better. Paul's determination, Paul's desire. But number three, I want you to see the Philippians' discipleship. Look what Paul said in verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful. The word means necessary. Don't miss this. For you. Paul said, God's not done with me. I've got a job to do. Now, friend, I know that you know this, but think about it for a moment. The moment you got saved... And if you're not saved, you need to get saved this morning. There's no revival for someone who's not saved. Revival is when God's people love God more than their sin, when God's people get right with him. If you're not saved, you're not a child of God yet. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 John, you're a child of the devil. I didn't write it, God did. And being a God's child is not about being born physically. It's about being born again spiritually. John 3, you must be born again. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul said, I've got a job to do. The moment you got saved, you were not ushered into heaven. Heaven is the cherry on top. Heaven's the end result. Right now, we've got work to do. And whereas heaven might be far better, here is more needful, more necessary. I'd like to address the senior citizens in the room for just a minute. Now, you determine if you're a senior citizen. I won't do that. 
Is it respectful and fair of me to make this observation? There are some in this room who have more years behind them than ahead of them. Is that fair? I hope that's not disrespectful. I think sometimes the devil whispers this in senior citizens' ears. Stick a fork in it. You're done. Nothing else for you to do. Let the young people step up. And by the way, they should. Listen, we live in a day and age where mom and dad commit to everything but church. Amen? And these couples here today that have brought their families, thank you for being here. Thank you for prioritizing the house of God and the word of God. You're to be commended for that. Because we live in a day and age where we get Susie Q to ballet, but she can't come to youth group. We'll take Joey to karate because he knows how to, needs to know how to defend himself in the event that he ever gets in a lockdown drag out karate brawl, but we won't bring him to church. Step on some toes. Brother Barry, are you a parent? No, but that doesn't make any less true. My wife and I have four cats at home. The reason we have four is because we don't want five, amen? Well, I don't want five. I'll put it that way. My wife should have married Noah. That way she could have had two of every kind. We commit to everything, and so the younger generation has to step up or the church will die, amen, the local church. But having said that, listen, those of you that are older, there is still something for you to do. Regardless of who you are, whether you preach messages or teach Sunday school lessons or sing solos, and by the way, what a beautiful song this morning that was. Beautiful. Thank you, sister, for singing that. Amen. Regardless of all that, there's a job in the body for you to do. And Paul said, I want to go to heaven, which is far better. Nevertheless, it's more needful for you that I'm here. Listen, friend, there might be somebody here at Sugar Valley that needs your discipleship. There may be a younger person that's looking to you as the example. Maybe it's a nephew or a niece or a grandchild. Maybe it's a, a child who comes to church who doesn't get any kind of encouragement at home or in their community. Maybe it's an older lady ministering to a younger. There's a work for you to do. Number one, Paul said it's more needful that I'm here, Philippians, for your furtherance. Look at what he says in verse 25. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Listen, Paul didn't look at salvation professions as notches in his belt. Paul's philosophy was like, well, five more saved in this meeting. Call the sword of the Lord so we can get in the paper. Paul wasn't concerned with catching them and releasing them. Paul wanted people to grow in the Lord. Now, I want to tell you what the local church by and large, is dropping the ball on this. We want to see people saved so we can talk about how many got saved, but then do we follow up? Do we disciple? Do we help to build them up in their most holy faith? Do we help them to go further? Paul said, I'm still here for your furtherance. And folks, God may use you to further somebody else's faith. Not only the Philippians' furtherance, but number two, for their faithfulness. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your conversation, the way you live, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, I want to come back and see you again. But I want to know that whether I'm there or not, whether I see you or not, that you're being faithful. Friend, we've got a job to do. Now it's the Lord that produces disciples. It's the Lord that produces faithfulness. But God has a job for us to do. And let me say this. If you attend this church and all you do is sit in the pew and shake your head in the affirmative when the pastor preaches, that's not enough. You need to get busy about the Lord's work. At 12 years of age, Jesus looked at his mother right in the face and said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? The Bible says in the Gospels, occupy till I come, which means to be about the business of another. God never tells us to put on white robes, climb to the top of a hill, Hold hands and sing kumbaya until the Lord returns. We've got a job to do. And it's far better to go to heaven. Let's go today, amen? But if we don't, it's more needful for us to be here. And to help those, help a lost and dying world see their need for Jesus. Listen, folks, maybe one of the start igniters of revival here this week is being reminded that we're not here to coast until the finish line, we're here to serve him. Far better to go to heaven. Nevertheless, it's more needful for you that I stay here. Pray with me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Thank you for listening this morning. Appreciate your attention. Evangelist Tom Farrell, who's one of my preaching heroes, is with the Lord now. He said that preaching demands a verdict, which means that you cannot remain neutral in what you hear. You've got to decide what you're going to do with it. We call it an invitation. Some churches don't give invitations, and I believe that's a tragedy. But I know your pastor's heart, and I know he does. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking at me, please. Please, no one looking at me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you a question this morning as our penis begins to play. It's a personal question. I don't know your name. I'm not trying to embarrass you or call you out. That's not how we work here. But I'd like to ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I didn't ask you if you go to church. I didn't ask you if you have a head knowledge of some Bible facts. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized. But has there been a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner and that Jesus had to die for your sin. And that you believed that he died and was buried and rose again for you. Friend, if you have Bible assurance that you're saved this morning. And that you're on your way to heaven. Would you raise your hand this morning as testimony to that? And let me say this. If you, didn't, if you did not raise your hand. That, you can put your hands down. If you did not raise your hand, that doesn't make you horrible. It makes you honest. You're right where you need to be. You realize that you have a need. And so here's my next question. Is there anyone here this morning say, Brother Barry, I'm not sure that I'm born again. I don't have that Bible assurance that my sins are forgiven and that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
I hear that heaven's far better, but I don't know that I'm going there because I don't know that I'm saved. But I'm burdened about it. And I want you to pray for me. Friend, if you're here today, even on a homecoming Sunday, and you're not sure that you're saved, would you raise your hand so we could pray for you? Anybody? I won't embarrass you. Yes, sir. Thank you for that honesty. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I'm not sure that I'm saved. But I'm concerned about it. We're going to do something. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Do you know that you can settle the matter of your salvation this morning? You don't have to go through a ritual, some magical formula, talk to a priest, none of that. You can know that you know that you're saved before we go to lunch. Right now in your heart, if you raised your hand and you said, I'm not sure that I'm saved, you can invite Christ into your heart right now. Now listen to me. Prayer does not save us. Jesus saves us. But prayer is the way we have of getting in touch with Him. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're not sure, you could pray right now in faith in your heart something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there's nothing that I can do to save my own soul. But I believe that you died and was buried and rose again. And I believe you did it for me. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now help me to live for you. Friend, if you meant that, it was sincere, not playing games, but you meant that just now, and you ask Jesus in faith to be your Savior, would you raise your hand? If you prayed that just now, you meant it. Yes, ma'am, thank you for that. Anybody else? Yes, sir, thank you, my friend. Anybody else? I prayed just now in faith and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Anybody at all? Here's my next question. How many of you say, Brother Barry, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but lately I've been coasting I've been so heaven-focused that I've forgotten to serve here. And God convicted my heart tonight that He's not done with me, that I've got a job to do, and I want to get busy, and I want to occupy until He comes. Whether He calls me home in death or the trumpet and the rapture sounds, I want to be found busy until He returns. If that's you, would you raise your hand? God spoke to your heart. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, my friend, thank you for that. Anybody else? Last question, and we're done. Have me say, Brother Barry, you know what? I'm leaving church today on this homecoming Sunday with true biblical encouragement. Not just a stirring, but I've been encouraged by the Word of God. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Thank the Lord for you. Father, thank you for your Word, the truth of it. I pray you be a pastor, Earl, now as he comes and directs the invitation as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.